yeah, like I said, talking myself into roles and sort of believing that like, oh, it's going to be really good if, you know, one or two things go my way. And and I think like, yeah, the vortex for me was just like chasing something that wasn't there rather than just sitting down and being like, well, what do I really enjoy about it? And how do I get really good at it? Rather mm-hmm. than like, oh, what's this job going to give me? And, and more about like, what can I, what can I give the job as such? Welcome to the Find the Gap podcast, where we're going to focus on the health and well-being of the support personnel and practitioners within high-performance sport. This will act as a platform for practitioners to share their own insights and experiences that have helped them to progress to where they are today, as well as being a safe environment which they can touch upon moments of vulnerability and other emotional battles that they've had to overcome in order to be successful. My name is Sam, and thanks for joining me on Find the Gap podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software that performance coaches all around the world are using to build programs, distribute workouts, and track athlete progress. It is the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, sports physios, gym owners, schools, and universities. The platform includes multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting features. Coaches also have the access to consultation with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up for the promo code FTG to start your 30-day free trial. So on today's episode of the podcast, I'm talking to Ben King. Ben is the one of the lead strength conditioning coaches at the Victorian Institute of Sport. Uh, he's had a myriad of different experiences through different sports and different uh, institutions as he's made his journey through the ranks uh, as a strength and conditioning coach. So I'm really excited to have a chat with him. Without any further ado, here is the chat with Ben. Anyway, um, Ben, mate, thank you very much for jumping on uh, this afternoon. Just ticked over an hour ago. What's uh, what's been going on today? Uh, man, just it's a work from home day for me today, so I uh, try and get a few laugh admin tasks uh, done, and yeah, just tuck into some admin work to set up our week. Good, mate. Good, good, and a bit of a story about a something coming along in the next few weeks for yourself too. Yeah, yeah, we're my partner's due in July, so five days before my thirtieth birthday, we'll have our second child arrive. Oh, um, man. how good! So having a girl come who will be a little sister to her brother Hudson, who's about one and a half. Mate, um, good on you. Yeah, so big year. hundred percent, hundred percent, mate. To get us rolling, can you give us um, a bit about yourself, education background, uh, experiences, things you want to include, uh, and get us rolling? Yeah, so I guess my my current role, if I work back from there, is I'm a lead strength conditioning coach at the Victorian Institute of Sport. Um, I've been working at the, the VIS for not quite four years, about three years and a, three and a half years in a full time capacity, and then previous to that, about four years in a part time capacity. Um, I went on board with hockey in my current role um, about twelve months ago. Previous to that, I was uh across a number of sports but sort of the main programs were golf and shooting and then an individual's program so that included like gymnastics judo um canoe slalom uh wrestling like everything you can kind of think of in individual sports um mm-hmm. and then prior to that sort of where i guess some of the discussion was centered around today but i was part-time of the vis with golf and a few other sort of small projects so some knee rehabs and 
some ACL things and some gym, gymnastics and you know, little bits that pop up. Um, but then I was sort of a sole trader working externally. So I was working across, you know, regional gymnastics clubs, state high performance centers, um, some basketball, like junior elite clients, some um, gen pop clients, like my mom, my dad, some private golf clients, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was sort of highly split. Um, and then before that I did my traineeship at the VIS. So I, I did the the traineeship that I'm now currently advertising for. And then prior to that, I did a, um, an internship with, uh, Acceleration Melbourne at Ace Performance as they are now, but I started with Acceleration. That was my first ever sort of foray into the industry. Um, and then prior to that, yeah, I, just, I did, uh, my education at Deakin. So I did a double degree of, uh, exercise science and, uh, sports management and, mm-hmm. I then went on to do my master's of SNC at uh, Edith Cowan. So yeah, I guess that's the last sort of nearly 10 years summed up pretty quickly. Um, yeah. If you can do it, <laughs> if you can do it justice. I was going to say, it's not like a really long and pretty intense journey that's just summed up in a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's cool. Like I think the way that I look at it is there's almost two phases. Like in 2019, just before I went on full-time, I probably changed course a little bit in the sense that I'd made peace with the journey that I was on and I was pretty content to pursue the like high performance experience and being a shrink conditioning coach and just trying to be really good at it and not being so stressed about like the title that I had or or the the athletes that I was working with. I think prior to that I was sort of chasing that quite a lot. And then right before um yeah, right before I went full time, I'd made peace with the journey of like look, this is just what I'm going to try and do. I, I enjoy certain parts of it. I don't enjoy other parts of it. That's just part of the job. And I'm mm. going to try and do this as hard as I can for as long as I can. And um, yeah, before that, it was a, uh, I've sort of called it like the vortex before of like, it was a very, I mean, every SNC coach has been there, but it's sort of like a real, real tricky time where you're, ba- you're balancing three, four, five different jobs. You're studying. You're still trying to figure out if you want to do this. A lot of your mates are like, starting to get full-time jobs out of uni or they're finishing their apprenticeships. So they're becoming fully qualified tradies. You're starting to grapple with like your hobbies if they're getting in the way of your job. So if you're going to like play footy locally or basketball locally, is that at the same time that you're going to be coaching? So a lot of those pressures all came to a head around that time. Um, But then, and I was probably feeling a bit sorry for myself along that way, but then sort of just post that um, and, and yeah, coming into a period where I was really happy with the pathway I was on. I was comfortable with what I was doing. Um, it didn't, it, it preceded the title. The title came later, but uh, you know, I was fortunate in the sense that I could, I could get myself to a place that I really enjoyed like the journey that I was on mm. um, f- for want of a better term. And then, you know, that I, I think that was part of what allowed me to do it for longer. Um, Cause you know, part of success is just war of attrition. You just do it longer than the next guy or girl. And, you get the job, mm-hmm. not necessarily being good enough. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's sort of that's how I split it in my head. Like this, this vortex you're talking about, and this experience of making peace of where you're on the path that you're currently on. Like, was there a specific moment where this was like, yep, yeah, this is it, or a specific event was like, all right, we're moving on. This is where I'm going, and I'm happy about it. Yeah, there was a couple of like jobs that I'd taken uh, because of the title that they came with, or maybe because of the financial um, things that came with it, and. I'd probably notice a trend of talking myself into the job because of, oh, it could potentially be this, or there's this person involved who works at this club and, mm-hmm. you know, you'll be able to like, you know, and we've, like I'd imagine if there's a lot of strength conditioning coaches listening to this or, you know, just it's a very common pathway. And a lot of the guys and girls that you talk to that are coming up to and 
in my role now of running the traineeship and, and running our student placements, like you hear that story a lot and, I, and I'm no different to anyone else in that pathway of like, you, you take on these jobs of like, yeah, I'm going to be able to do X and I'm going to be able to do Y and this is going to be a full-time this and you, you sort of get sold under a little bit and where we not to blame anyone. It's not like people are leading us blind, but I think, you know, there's such a willingness to do strength conditioning at a high level and such a, such a strong, you know, it's a very competitive field. And I think that the ones that survive are the ones that stick it out the longer. So it becomes highly, highly competitive. Um, mm. And because of that, then it's the ones that last the longest that, that actually succeed. So there's such a strong drive and, and you almost talk yourself into jobs that, that don't fit with anything that don't fit your values that don't fit your situation, but you make them work for some reason. Mm-hmm. And it's the title, it's the jacket, it's the financial sometimes. Um, but you know, there was all these things that I was doing that like, I, once I then had the balls to say like, I actually don't want to do this and resign and quit and, and let those things go. So mm-hmm. to be more specific, like working at a gymnastics club that, you know, I mean, you don't have to look very far to see that gymnastics has a pretty bad history with certain things um and and pressures around body image and performance for very very young girls um mm-hmm. and i was really uncomfortable working in that environment and i didn't like some of the conversations that we we're having but i just i put up with it because i was you know i thought gymnastics was really fun to work with i had a really good relationship with some of the athletes and uh, you know there was there was financials involved with that mm-hmm. um but then have actually have growing the balls and being like i don't want to do this anymore and and being comfortable with that decision um, working in a private basketball center um, and not having much support or not having really a structure to go by, but the idea of like working with basketballers and, oh, it's aligned with this and I can, oh, I can turn it into this thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. n- not, yeah, like I said, talking myself into roles and sort of believing that like, oh, it's going to be really good if, you know, one or two things go my way. And And I think like, yeah, the vortex for me was just like chasing something that wasn't there rather than, just sitting down and being like, well, what do I really enjoy about it? And how do I get really good at it rather mm-hmm. than like, oh, what's this job going to give me? And, and more about like, what can I, what can I give the job as such? Um, now, obviously there's like life pressures that come with that, right? Like you still need to afford rent and you still need mm-hmm. to, you know, pay for petrol and like gym memberships for all those sorts of things. Like I, I'm fully aware of those pressures and I know why I made, I made those choices because I like had some, constraints on me at the time but i'm also mm-hmm. very aware that i've had a lot of privileges along the way and that's part of yeah not to tangent too much but that's part of my drive to have like a really strong traineeship program at the vis is that i don't like the idea that the ones that make it through and the snc coaches that make it through the industry are the ones that had the most most privilege going up so mm-hmm. typically the ones that can do they can work unpaid therefore can live at home with their parents until their yep. mid-20s they can afford to go to uni and put it on their hex debt. They can get a pa- tank of petrol here or there from their parents. They can, you know, like all of these things that allow like a certain type of person to be able to get through. And it's not necessarily dictated by talent. Um, I, I say that as like fully guilty of all those privileges um, and, and really like aware that that was all afforded to me, but you know, it's, it's not indicative of necessarily the best coaches. So mm. um yeah, that, that's why I'm really passionate about like the journey and why I reflect a lot on my journey of like, that was a really hard, like a really difficult time, but I had a whole lot of support that helped me through that in the same way. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that, that's the vortex. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, do, do you reckon adding on to that a little bit, do you reckon that this, um, there's some part of the industry that has to uh, 
like an issue to blame or not to blame, but like to that f- most coaches fall into that kind of vortex, as you're saying as well, being not advertising roles properly or, you know, a degree isn't recognized highly enough. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think like the part that I, I don't like, I think, I think like the whole, uh, when SNC coaches beat their chest about how hard they worked in their career and how it was like, oh, I had to walk, you know, it's the kind of classic, like your parents saying to you, I had to walk uphill both ways to get to school and in the snow when I was barefoot and blah, blah, blah. It's like SNC coaches would be like, yeah, well, I worked for $10 an hour and it was cold and I would get up at 4.30 in the morning and it's sort of like, okay, that sucks. Like, mm-hmm. can we improve that? Can we make that better? So like the students yeah. don't have to do that. And mm-hmm. how about we like, don't exploit our young coaches. How about we get them paid opportunities? And so that sort of like annoys me. And then I think the other way annoys me in the sense of when people are like, oh, how dare this local footy club only have five grand to pay their SNC coach? That's only $9 an hour. It's bullshit. And da, 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 da. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, that's, that's really good. Like we're actually getting opportunities. So I think we're in like a really, I don't know. A lot, a lot of coaches say this, but I, I, like, I really agree with it in the sense that we're at a really early stage of like, SNC as an industry, sport mm-hmm. as an industry, um, personal training as an extension to that. Like we're in the really early stages of like what that looks like. We don't have strong union presence. We don't have strong regulations. The ACA actually do a pretty good job in terms of like a remuneration guidelines. But mm-hmm. if you look overseas, like the NSCA, the UKCA has like a number of issues in terms of like upholding a high standard for you know, SNC coaches as they're, as they're working into their craft. So mm-hmm. I think like in, to that end, like, yeah, there's certainly an issue, I think, of like beating our chest and thinking we're these tough, strong, like awesome practitioners because we work so hard in, in our junior years where it's like that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. I'm mm-hmm. sure other industries like have similar pathways, but there's also like paid opportunities for graduates and there's pathways for them to get through and implant themselves in, in their careers. As an aside to that, I think as a wider concept, to me, like strength and conditioning coaches, we don't work in strength and conditioning. That's just our service that we provide. Mm-hmm. Um, we work in sport. Like we work in the industry of sport as a whole. Um, if you are to be a high performance practitioner, you're, you're, you'll ebb and flow with the sporting industry. So if you're working in the AFL, 2018 and 2019 would have been like awesome. So good. Look at all these resources we have. And then COVID comes and you don't have a job anymore. Yeah. Like, so that's got nothing to do with how good you are as an SNC coach, got nothing to do with that strength conditioning as a whole because it's a growing field. Mm-hmm. It's because sport just got chopped in half because health and, and the global pandemic came first. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other side, the, the, the Institute Network, uh, we get a home Olympics in 2032 and all of a sudden it's like, oh, how good is this? High fives all around, like funding at the blah and, and there's opportunities here and how good's the network and there's all these plans and that's because there's a home Olympics in 10 years and, and mm-hmm. the government wants that to go really well. So they'll pump, pump a whole lot of funding into it. So uh, yeah, that's one of my key pieces is like, we work in sport, we work in and our, our careers will ebb and flow with that. And then our contributions to performance therefore will be the the pathway for like great opportunities um, mm-hmm. rather than we beat our chest and go like, I work so hard, this is bullshit. Like yep. you have to work hard and you have to do this. And yeah, because I, I went through it. Like, yeah. And it's like bullshit. Like, no, they don't like if mm. we can get, and, and and even now, like I'm encouraged by the signs that I see, like talking to different universities, my time at Deakin, I didn't do any placement until my fourth year. Mm. Um, and thinking I was really clever. I tried to do my placement at a PT, like a YMCA to get mm. a job out of it. Cause I thought, Oh, you know, really hard industry. I need to make sure I'm getting money and PT is like a good way to do that. I did 140 hours there, picking my nose and I had no applied experience. And I got out of that with no job. 
like a total lost gamble. Um, and that was after four years of uni. So imagine if I'd finished that and then I didn't want to pursue this career anymore. Like what a, what just, what a waste. But now like, and I had always reflected on my partner who's a teacher who would have placement first year, second year, third year, fourth year, graduate, then a role. So you've had like seven or eight placements by the time you actually work. Mm -hmm. For me, like it was two and then I was an employee. So it was like, yeah, I'm encouraged by the signs like talking to, to Deacon now. In their second year, they're assigned a placement. They have to mm -hmm. go out, work in an applied environment and see that and either decide, I really like this, I want to do this. Or mm -hmm. the other way of like, I actually hate this, I'm going to do something else. Either is a huge win, like a great result. Because either way, it's like you're, you're more aligning to what we should do. And then on the output, we're getting exercise science students and, and strength conditioning students that are more aligned with what the demands of the job are mm -hmm. 100% I couldn't agree more and well well said mate very well said um, you highlighted that you had the VIS traineeship coming up soon um, and you'll be part of running that that sounds like it's a good way for people to get into that uh, kind of kickstart it and for people like yourself running that with that kind of mindset I think that's a good step forward for a lot of people um but uh, yeah, yeah i was just gonna say go. i was just gonna say from my end like the exchange of value on that end because like again i'm really conscious that we're we're not getting trainees into work for free is that we mm -hmm. have a really strong exchange of value that they get direct mentorship from an applied mentor and, and maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later but the impact that a mentor could have on your career mm -hmm. that then is part of a wider mentoring system so you get across like we have 13 employed snc coaches now you're going to find something that you relate with on with one of them and you're going to find something that you disagree with one of them. And then that can help you shape out who you are and as a coach and as a person. Mm -hmm. And then we have weekly workshops all delivered by the staff. So they're covering a topic that is relevant to your career. And I remember so many for me in that traineeship, so many workshops that just had like landmark moments of like, you know, you, you can put them together now, but at the time you don't realize the impact and how it's shaping the way that you think and the way that you coach you know, mm. years later down the track. Um, and I was really fortunate to have experienced that. But, you know, and, and I want to open that up to to trainees and, and really like for us, like our main benefit is recruitment, but I also want to get it to a point that we're producing really good coaches in the industry. So we take a loss on on running this program. Like we have no remuneration benefit. We don't like, mm. we, we don't get coverage from a labor point of view. We don't make any money out of it. We, we can't like advertise this to anyone to sponsor, but one, we recruit then good coaches out of it. There's something like 10 of our 13 staff have done the traineeship. And then secondly, if they go to a different club or they go to a different you know, industry, that that on their resume was a really big part of that building that process. And, and it just like helped them get their, their feet together in the industry. Mm. Um, so that's, that, that's, that, yeah, that's what I'm really excited about. Yeah, good. Um, going back a little bit, mate, when you talked about the point where you were juggling a few jobs at once, uh, that that period where you know didn't have that full time role just yet. What were some things outside of your work and outside of um, working as an S and C coach that kept you mentally well, that kept you going when you were battling three things at once? Like, what are your hobbies outside of work? What What are the things that just keep you ticking? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, during that time, probably shamefully, like not much. And that's part mm. of like what I had to change is that I, I just become all consumed. But, and I remember even having conversations with my friends of like, they'd be like, oh, I've got to get up at six tomorrow, be on the work site at seven. And I'd almost take like pride in the fact that I was like, yeah, well, I've got to get up at five. Like, yeah. and prove to them like, oh, see, I, I'm actually working hard. You know, mm. I am, I am, and, you know, I am doing this. And I'd get up at like quarter to five and get in my car from Mary Warren and drive across Melbourne to Parkville on the other side. So about an hour to get there. 
get there at quarter to six and I'd coach for two hours. Then I'd sleep in the storeroom and then I'd coach in the afternoon mm -hmm. and then I'd read like some random book and then I'd drive home. And, like, yeah. So shamefully, I think during that time, like I did probably didn't, I, I neglected a lot of hobbies and it was something like coming out of that. Like I, I you know, I've had to sort of actively look at and change my own training went through the toilet. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a coach. I've always got to be coaching. I've got to be learning. Like I would prioritize learning above training mm -hmm. um so like my health declined during that time nothing like obviously major or significant but certainly that took a hit um but you know yeah so i think like the balance of power tipped massively in that state but for me like to feel for me to feel good and, and the hobbies that i have like just participating in sports always been a big part of, of me so like i played footy throughout all that time but also like playing basketball and and doing sort of random things here and there so i've done like a triathlon here or a an event here i've sort of dabbled in a whole bunch of different things and being really comfortable that i'm a bit of a dabbler like I've, i'll dabble in sports and and touch them and enjoy them and sort of move away so like competed in some capacity of like triathlon volleyball cricket basketball footy soccer jiu-jitsu um like like everything and and also just knowing that about myself that i do enjoy like novelty and and touch points in all the little bits mm -hmm. and so so sort of accentuating that. Um, and then otherwise, like, I don't have probably like a real discernible, like I, I'm, I'm, I like to read, I like to, I like to learn, um, like, yeah, I like to spend a lot of time with my mates. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just things like that, that I think like talking to, to like, quote unquote, like normal people, people that are just like, you know, strength conditioning and sport, like it's just this funny thing on the side. Yeah. Um, because yeah, like I said, it, it can it can become all consuming, and it did for me for a while. So like coming out of that and being like, oh, you've got normal problems, like mm -hmm. I do. Like it's you know I'm not this like special case just because my alarm goes earlier than yours. Like yeah. I'm just being an idiot that's <laughs> sleeping less. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's it's a very common thing that um, people uh, I talk to on this podcast is the they give up their own health for the priority of others so like it is a service injury 100 but then they give up their own health and well-being for that person for that athlete for that client where they fall short of so once you find once you get out of that vortex like you're saying and you find that balance like i'm looking after myself but giving 110 percent to athlete a team a client whatever it is um and yeah 100 percent. like it's such a you're such a slave to your psychology in that way and like mm -hmm. yeah you, you know it's like all identity um psychology and like hierarchy of needs and that sort of thing and you just prioritize this identity above all other things and mm -hmm. it's like it's 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 hilarious if it wasn't like terrifying like <laughs> it's like you can forego so many of other needs for this one thing that you think like and it's a classic thing like oh once i get that job then i'll be happy and it's like yeah. obviously not like no. you get that job and then it's like you've got all these other problems like yeah. obviously uh, like, what's that you know. what's that concept um i'm gonna botch this reference but there's the concept of um you know you, you keep climbing you get that you get that next thing and i'll be happy until i get a and then you get a but you're not happy you get b yeah, you're not happy it, what uh, i can't remember what that concept is called but it's just like i'm always gonna fish for this one thing but if i don't fix you know what's going on internally then fixing getting a b c d in whatever role it might be or whatever uh for an athlete whatever cup or tournament might be that might not help at all uh, because you haven't yeah. looked into yourself 100 percent. and then for me like what what i struggled with with that is nihilism so for me it's like this is like everything's fucked it doesn't matter this is bullshit like and, and that would extend to things in my life like oh this doesn't mm -hmm. matter until i achieve this or none of this matters this is all bullshit and i sort of really struggled with like the nihilistic aspect of of you know human mentality but 
the part for me that was really useful was not necessarily thinking about being happy or being like, yeah, super like high fives and how good's this and, and being really pumped up by that, but rather two things. One, like chasing fulfillment. So looking for things that are challenging and making that a fulfilling pathway, like trying to learn and, and, and be better on that rather than, because if like some days you have a really good session, some days you have bad ones and I'll just like, you just ride the wave and you're mm -hmm. identifying yourself by the title that you're getting all the opportunities and therefore you talk yourself into these roles that, that, you know, are, are therefore causing you distress. Mm -hmm. um, so like finding fulfillment, not necessarily happiness. And then second, like just, just the factor of like, yeah, it, it not being it not being who you are. You're, it's just your job at the end of the day. Like it's part of what you do, and trying to identify what the things that you get out of it are, rather than um, yeah, rather than thinking this is me and I need to do this to mm. become something. It's like not being defined. Like that, it defines who yeah. you are. Yeah, you can have to like. It's, it's just your job at the end of the day. Like I think about it like yeah for me it was so much bigger than a job but like i remember meeting yeah. like a, a an afl footy player at uni and i knew who he was i barracked for the team i'd known this guy like since he got drafted and then i was like oh you know how's your day how's your day today it's like oh yeah i've got a day off from work and i remember thinking like work like you play footy don't you but like it's still work like yeah, exactly. every job is still work and every job's gonna have shit that you don't like mm -hmm. like even the best jobs in the entire world things that just seem like unbelievably good like athletes for, for example people say that would be one of the best jobs mm -hmm. there's so many things they have to do that are just shit that suck mm -hmm. you know like and on, on one extreme end you've got lebron saying how much he would love to just be a normal citizen and just be able to go get a coffee without 17 cameras in his face mm -hmm. and then you've got the other end of the athletes that i work with that don't get paid that would love just a little bit of remuneration for the hours yeah. and hours of work that they put in. So mm -hmm. on either ends of those scales, there's there's really good parts and there's really bad parts. So yeah, um, yeah, you're still gonna have problems. Like you get a full time job as an SNC coach and you think, oh, now it's gonna be great. And you get you got a coach breathing down your back. You've got like <laughs> fuck all pay and you like you might lose your job the next season. So it's like yeah, good job, man. You signed up for a whole heap of shit. <laughs> oh, we're selling it really well, aren't we? Jeez. <laughs> oh man. Like yeah, in amongst all that for me, I like. I know, I'm just kidding. I, I'll do it. I'll do it for free. Like if I yeah. if I won the lottery and it was like, yep, you could do whatever you want. Like I would still do. I would still do this job. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I went into it very wide eyed and very like green under the gills. And I had mm -hmm. a lot of people telling me like when I was going to uni, people that didn't know, like they just didn't know sport. They'd be like, oh, good good idea. Lots of money in sport. Lots of opportunities mm -hmm. and blah 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 blah. And I end up years later doing the math on it. And sport is like the big five leagues in America. So like the most rich, the, the richest sports in the world, barring football, but like NBA, NFL, uh, hockey, like the UFC um, and baseball. Mm -hmm. um, all of those combined was as big as the cardboard box industry in the USA. And so it's like, when we're talking about sport, having money, like it doesn't it, like mm -hmm. technology, logistics, sales, marketing, like all these other fields and all these crafts that you can do construction, like just, Billions and billions it. and billions of dollars more. And like the highest sports company in the world is Nike, which really is, is a fashion company. Like, yeah. so sport plays a very little part in, in the world, world economy. I think it's like the 20th biggest industry. Um, Crazy. Sure, the, the, the trajectory might be growing, but it's like, we're, it's not what we, not what I was told mm -hmm. and what I'd expected to come in of like, yeah, what you'd expect. All these opportunities and money and all those sorts of things. Like, you know, maybe not over my end, but yeah. Mm hmm. I was just think touching on what you said before as well, like the purpose and the um 
being defined by the role. Someone who was on the podcast previously, we're talking about pillars and I talk about like the more pillars you have in your life. And if one of those pillars gets taken away, you know, the roof won't come down. So if you're like, you got your job, you got your, your partner, you got a dog at home, you've got your hobbies, whatever it is. And then one of those pillars being your job, you get let go unexpectedly from your job. You don't, your house is going to fall down because you just got that one pillar. So the more pillars you have in your life, the better. And I think that's reflective of what you said before. Uh, and also what you said about, um, differences between you know your lebron james and your, you know for example your unpaid uh development player in a team that you're working with now at the moment the differences between that are huge and i think we need a whole another conversation uh to talk about that and it's gonna go off way off track because i could talk about that for days um but I, I wanted to know a little bit about uh yourself mate and what were the what were the main pressures that you feel you have to deal with in your current role yeah i guess the biggest pressures that I have now are the the number of stakeholders to try to keep in mind when you're making decisions and when you're making interventions. So like in the institute system, um, you have athletes that you service, you work with head coaches, you work with other service providers. So then you've mm-hmm. got like nutrition, physio, sports science, sports psychology, um, there's performance administrators, there's the medical team. Then there's like the other departments. So like in my department within physical preparation, then other departments, so like the other, the wider physios, then there's the other departments in the building. So you're trying to keep all of those people in mind with the decisions that you're making. Like you can't just be mm. really specific and really um, too, too single-minded in the way that you think. Because if I make a, like a choice around one athlete, but it puts everyone else out, or if I mm. make a choice just for the coach, and it puts everyone else out. So managing all of that within our circle and then sort of extending beyond that you've got state organizations national organizations and then like national coaches and technical directors and all these pressures that come into our environment Mm -hmm. the way that my program works now like in in my in my current capacity we're a transitional program so the athletes that come to us essentially we don't want them there because we want them to move to the national program Mm -hmm. we get anywhere from sort of like 17 18 through to like mid-20s um, along their pathway and hopefully we're exiting them from our program because they're good enough that the national team has selected them and said yep i want you to come play for us so the pressures that then what the the national body wants from their athletes um maybe that's slightly misaligned with the way that you prepare them doesn't mean either is wrong mm-hmm. but it's that you have a philosophy and they have philosophy and at the end of the day that they're the end goal so the conversation then naturally comes up of I need to make sure that the way that I'm preparing my athletes is aligned with them in some way. I can't completely prepare them differently. Even if I believe that's that's right, I need to be considering where they're going because I'm doing a disservice to the athlete by thinking, I think that this is the best way to do it, mm-hmm. but they're going to go over there and train a completely different way. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to completely fall in line, but it's a consideration for sure. Um, so in terms of those pressures, like that's probably the biggest pressure that I feel in terms of like, um, how we manage that. And and then sort of the second part to that question, I think the athletes are, are central to everything that we do, but the pressure from the athletes, and I've said this to all of the athletes, but athletes by nature, the reason that they're an athlete, at least in some way, is they're very, very compelled and very dramatic. Like you wouldn't put yourself in these scenarios and on these stages and through all the training that you put them through if you were like a boring, not risk-taking and logical person. Like you just wouldn't do it. You'd look at those scenarios and go, I could lose and I could be made a fool of and I could be embarrassed and I could hurt myself. So all of these things would stack up and you'd, Mm -hmm. as a logical person, you'd go, I'm actually not going to do that. Most of the athletes and and especially the good ones look at that and go, that could be me that is the winner at the end of the day and that could experience the glory and the blah, blah, blah. So 
by nature, they're dramatic, they're compelled, they're, they're connected with their will for one a bit of a term. So you're yep. going to always feel the pressure of whichever direction the athlete wants to go. And they're going to push hard in this direction. And sometimes it's like, yeah, let's go on that ride. And sometimes you're sort of like, I need to pull them back here or, or sometimes you need to pull them along or yeah, the athlete's journey in their pathway is always something like it's a treacherous road, but you're always traversing that. Um, part of what makes it fun like it's 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 never boring um and i'm sure you can attest to like it's never like most weeks are different most days are different most people are different mm-hmm. um but it's it, it's it's certainly pressure because if an athlete's standing in front of you and they're like i've got a game tomorrow can i play mm-hmm. and you're like i don't know man like maybe like mm-hmm. and you've got coaches saying are they ready are they set to go can they play six six games in seven days and you're like probably not but i can't say for sure like maybe i don't know novak djokovic for as much of a prick as he is he just won the australian open with a hamstring torn mm-hmm. like you, you hear stories about this all the time of like athletes pushing through barriers that we just don't think are possible so as like a, a sports science or medical practitioner you're sort of like well like this i've got all these factors to say that no this isn't going to happen but it could i don't know so like mm-hmm. you know those pressures of those decisions um they're, they're fun. Like I enjoy the problem solving aspect of that. Mm. Um, but there's certainly pressure that comes with those, those conversations. hundred percent, man. I couldn't agree more. Now where I was going to move on to next, I wanted to ask you about your role as a leader. Uh, what, what have you, what are the struggles you've come through as a leader? And also what is taking on what you mentioned before about a mentor? What is your importance or what do you feel is the importance of having a mentor or being a mentor yourself? What's the, some experiences you have of being a mentor? Yeah, I mean, the leadership aspect first, I think I enjoy the position of like leading a program and I like I enjoy those <clears throat> those feelings. I think probably mm-hmm. one of the things I've struggled with is having a really clear vision and, and communicating that of like, this is where I want to go and this is what I want, I want to achieve. I, yeah. I'd have roughly an idea of what that looked like. But, you know, one of the things I've, I've I'm one of the coaches that I've drawn a lot of inspiration of lately He's not a SNC, but just Ange Postacoglu, like one of Australia's best ever coaches working mm. at Celtic now, like full blown man crush. And everyone at work is annoyed at me for how much I talk about him. But the idea <laughs> that, so for, for him, when he moves clubs, he doesn't take staff with him. He, mm. he goes and, he, and he, part of the challenge that he enjoys is selling the new group on his vision and his mm. goals and the way that he goes about it. Um, and there's lots of like perspective dripped all over that and very biased and very specific to him. But it, like the, the the success is proven and it's there and it's a strategy that works. But the thing that I've like really taken out of that is like, you need to communicate your vision really clearly. Um, and so something I said yeah. to the guys and girls the other day is that my vision for the, the squads that I'm working with and the athletes I'm working with is I'm, I want to be able to step back from the gym, like just take a second out of my coaching session, step back and look across and just see this room, like full of energy, full of noise, people working hard, people cheering each other on, spotting, and like, I'm almost redundant. I don't need to be there anymore. I can just yep. watch. That to me is like my vision of what I want to achieve in this in the groups that I'm working with. And that's like being able to articulate that now. Like I'm a, I'm a lot better at doing that. Um, I think it passed. Like I'd know where I wanted to go. And like I had this scenario where we had a, a golf group that the coach had left that we hadn't hired a new coach yet. And the culture of the group was just spiraling like really badly. Um, there was no leadership in the program. I was still then a good enough job of sort of like holding it together but I, I one wasn't aware of like the culture as it was going and two i didn't have the strategies or, the, or be able to communicate like 
hey, actually, we should be doing this mm-hmm. because we just, as a group, it just got more and more and more toxic. So then the next coach came in and he was really like starting from ground zero, like really had to build everything back up um, and a lot of conversations afterwards. And, and, you know, that's probably a good point to lo- launch off in terms of mentorship. Like um, Dean Kinney, a golf coach who works for Golf Australia now, he's, he's now moved uh, back up to Sydney. But him coming in and seeing that program for what it was and being like, okay, this isn't what I want it to be. But rather than stop my feet around and crack the shits and start yelling at everyone of like, this is what I want. He just slowly, slowly, slowly chipped away at it. And I reckon he didn't achieve his vision until probably 12 months later. Mm-hmm. Um, so 12 months of not being where you want it to be um, and slowly knowing that influence and change only happens incrementally that you can't just come in and be like, this is my way. Like he just did it slowly. Mm-hmm. He chipped everyone, chipped away at everyone. He got them all on side. But then 12 months later, he was like, okay, here's now where I want to be. Yep. You know, and having that long-term vision and just communicating and sticking to your principles and sticking to what it was. I was always very guilty of just trying things. And and like I said before, like I enjoy novelty, but novelty isn't always necessarily the best thing for a group that's consistently training for one goal. And mm-hmm. I would move pillar to post too much. And that's in, that's invigorating for me, like personally, but I'm not, you know, I, that's not the best direction for a, a program. Um, yep. so yeah, really grateful for the work that I do and, and still do with Dean, but like, particularly at that time when we're in a position where the culture was declining, but it came back around because of that. Um, and in a different style to the previous coach, not better or worse. Um, and then, uh, the other mentor that I think has been really impactful in my career is Luke Mackey, who also works now at Golf Australia, but he was a strength initiative coach at the VIS with the Melbourne Vixens, the women's hockey program and golf and I mentored under him uh, initially or sorry, I, I was his uh, mentee um, and just the way that he, he coached the way that he went about his business, seeing someone that didn't take it too seriously, but could really get engagement out of the athletes. And, and more than anything, I think contrasting him with the other styles at the VIS uh, Olympic sports and Commonwealth game sports are, by nature, a lot of them are individual pursuits and mm-hmm. by nature of that tend to attract people who are relatively introverted. So seeing someone who was actually really quiet and wasn't a loudmouth coach and be like, how do they even, how does that even work? How do they do that? Like, how do you coach as a quiet person and seeing them do that to a really high level was really cool. And then also on the other end, seeing Mackie, who I would say is I'm more similar to, um, I'm not as annoying, but like being more similar to him as being like loud, energetic, like using humor and humility and humiliation in his coaching. So like, you go to any any sports team across the whole of Australia and you'll find athletes that rib each other sort of playfully and say, hey, why don't you do this? And like, they just like have little jabs at each other and seeing mm-hmm. him do that with a group of professional netballers and making fun of them for the way that they were doing like a power clean. And then he's like embarrassing them in front of the group. But then the next one was like immaculate and she'd do a great power clean. And I'm like, holy shit, he just made fun of her, but it worked. Mm-hmm. And it's in a language that the athlete can understand. Um, rather than we have all these like awesome cues and we have these like, oh, like, uh, you know, have your belt buckle face forward and imagine you're like, you're throwing this above your head of like, you you make fun of them in the words that they, yep. they use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that, and then I'd say probably the other one that's been really impactful is, is uh, a physio, um, Steve Hawkins, who also mm-hmm. uh, works in Melbourne Vixens, but has been at the VIS for years and years and years is, the the clinical reasoning approach and the logic and just the time and care that he puts into each athlete, like seeing that um, and, and just like 
I said to him the other day that he need to he'll need to invoice me for the amount of advice that I ask him for because like it's just outrageous the amount of value that I get from him for for free, mm-hmm. but like fleshing out multiple complex rehabs with him, um mm-hmm. and and even not even that complex rehabs like working with different para athletes and and you know leveraging that into like a a, a nice story that I, one of the athletes that we worked with um was a para athlete one of her arms is a lot shorter than the other one. Mm-hmm. um at, from a birth defect and one of the things that we're focusing on in, in table tennis you end up in quite a sort of flex position um constantly when you're playing um and so we were talking about better posture being more connected to a lobster um so when we're in the gym i would just use the word lobster because like they have this tall sort of a breast posture and and it, it just it just became like a funny joke that we would have mm-hmm. and then so um, she th- then started to go into overextension. So she would have her ribs flared and re- really extended with some things. So we were like, all right, what's the biggest and scariest uh, animal in the ocean? And she said Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Yeah. And so Ursula became like extension. And then when she would go the other way, like two round, it became a prawn. So yeah. I had a way of cueing her posture with like three sea animals. And it's like in her language, in her voices. And I don't think I would have gotten to that point without like Steve's help, but also like leveraging back on the experience that I had with Mackie is that I could use these like totally ridiculous words and she would laugh when she would hear them, but then I'd stand back and it would work. Like she would hear what I'm <laughs> saying and put into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so experiences like that and then like reflecting that back with the mentors and and yeah, the experiences that I've been able to like lucky enough to then share with them to then like, it just has, yeah, has such a big impact on your career. And and that's probably my biggest outcome from the traineeship is I don't necessarily want them to learn, like from me as a mentor, I don't want them to learn what I do. It's just to show them how I got to where I am mm-hmm. and that none of it is in a textbook. And you just have to like completely fail and do it terribly and laugh and joke and just come up with ways. Mm-hmm. Again, with that same athlete, like we had a, a her biggest PB on a counter movement jump was by playing a game on the force plates. So it was like a high jump game where she had to beat her previous score by the, the least amount that she could. And then the bar would move up and just a silly game, but she got like a four or five centimeter PB out of it. Mm. Um, so the more that you can like talk the athlete's language, the better. Um, and, and I only would have learned that, you know, from, from working with mentors. And that's what I hope that the trainees get from me. It's like not my words or my games or my thing. It's just like, okay, that's Ben. He does it for that reason, for, for, for these ways. I'm going to come up with my way for this reason because I am mm-hmm. me and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That's class, man. I like that. That's class. Um, what would you say is your um, most, not most recent, but the first experience, I'd say, your first experience uh, with being vulnerable in the industry? In the industry, I think, I think my like vulnerability for me is like, it's probably always come like pretty naturally and I think almost too naturally in a way that I would mm-hmm. share um, openly for almost like a, a reciprocation. So I would almost think like I'm being vulnerable. So, so should you, and I'm being vulnerable to show you something that it's not necessarily always, I, I know we're in, in the, the world of vulnerability now and there's podcasts and vulnerability houses and all this kind of stuff that everyone hears and, and listens to. And, you know, mental health is exhibit A important is importantly is like a really big topic, which is great. Like I'm, I'm not knocking that, but I think um, we are largely, we are like most people are pretty terrible at traversing like some complex topics. So mm-hmm. for me, like I look back on my, my pathway with vulnerability that it was a, 
I would be vulnerable for almost someone to be vulnerable back. And then I would feel really good about that connection. But then I was almost using it as a way of like, I was being almost like, yeah, manipulative with my, my own story of like, oh, if I share some information, I'll, I'll get it back and, and it, mm. it will define me and, and I'll be able to connect with this. And I'm obviously not thinking this consciously, but then on reflection, I'm thinking back, I'm like, why am I telling this person this? Or mm. I'm trying to advance this relationship too quickly, or I'm, I, I, I'm being, I can feel myself like, you know, it's almost a neediness to want to be like, so I think vulnerability in that way to me has almost been like a, a pick your battles moment rather than like having to force it out of myself of like, you actually probably need to calm down a little bit here. And you know, your stories and my problems are the same as everyone else's problems. Like none of my problems are unique. I'm a, you know, a relatively normal person from Southeast Melbourne that had many privileges growing up. Like I'm not this complex case or anything like that. So it's a, uh, yeah, it, it, for me, my journey with vulnerability was almost like not to just be a blabbermouth and, and get it out there all at once and, and take more responsibility in terms of like, you're an SNC coach, you're a contribution, you're a service provider, you're a coach, like that can really be benefit to someone and, mm-hmm. and you need to be really good at that craft. Um, not to just be the guy that can be really good friends with people, like, and not the person that can just be, you know, talking about their feelings all the time. Not that that's not important. Like I, I, I definitely still think that's a part of, who I am, but your contribution to someone's success shouldn't be dependent on how vulnerable you can be with someone at the yep. end of the day, like your service is still your service. Um, and you still need to get someone closer to their goals. That's the reason you're working with them. Now, ideally you have a really good relationship with them along the way. Um, and you can be vulnerable and all of that stuff can come with it. Like I, I really hope that that's the case, but if it's not the case, you should still find a way to success. Um, can you imagine like in another field, if like you went to a surgeon and they weren't vulnerable with you that you were like, oh, well, I don't care that you fixed my heart valve that was leaky. You didn't talk about your feelings. Like, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're still trying to make someone better at what they do. So, or, mm-hmm. you know, provide a service. So I think for me, it was not putting too much stock into vulnerability and into feelings. Not that it, yeah, not that it's, it's invaluable, but, um, it, it, it was yeah a craft and a, and a real contribution has to come with that mm-hmm. yeah well said well said well mate i'm just conscious of time i don't take too much longer um out of your day but i do ask this question at the end of most podcasts uh to get uh some ideas of some influences for guys coming forward uh but what was did you say th- are three things and things can be a very broad term of things that have had a massive influence on your life. So these could be apps, books, courses, people, mentors, um, I don't know, uh, inspirational speech, whatever it might be. What What's those three things you can think of in your upbringing, your journey that has just had a massive influence on you? Can be in the industry, could be out of whatever. Yeah, I think the first one for me, and it's a classic one, but like experience being the driver of all learnings like Mm -hmm. i can sit here and talk about all this stuff and and all these things but at the end of the day like i've only reached these reached these conclusions by sometimes enormous failures Mm -hmm. like i i i I never measure out a yo-yo test wrong anymore because i did it once and one side i did it on the side of an oval which i don't know why i did that but one side was really long. One side was really short. Um, and so one side, the scores are amazing. One side, the scores were terrible um, because like I just, it was like such a stupid, silly mistake, but I made it with junior athletes, uh, sorry, local senior athletes, not state or national athletes um, on the same vein. Like I ran the same warm up in consecutive days that I did for my mom and her friends 
to a national team the next day um, mm. in, in a different country. So like the experience that you learn and that you grow and that you build and that you feel the real intense failure from, um, the more that people can do that and they tinker and they experiment and they iterate, like the better and the quicker someone gets better. Again, if I talk about those environments, like as, as much as, you know, the vortex sounds like something that I, that I regret, or if I look at that time in gymnastics or basketball, that like, oh, damn, well, it's such a failure. Like the lessons that I've learned in there have got me so much closer to, mm-hmm. to and there've been such self-reflective practices of, of, okay, like this is what I want out of my job. These are the things that I'm good at. These are the things I need to work on. Um, working with individuals for me was such a challenge because I'd always been in team sport environments. But then when I came into hockey, I actually found team, the team in the big room difficult because I'd been so attuned to working one-on-one, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I think experience is, is by far the biggest thing that's been impactful on me and, and really intense failures that I've like felt and been like, you idiot, like why the hell did you do that? But in no way do I ever regret making any of them because they're like, they're so influential in informing like your further career and, if nothing else, like you get closer to a piece of self-awareness. Like mm. it's just such a critical part, I think, uh, of any practitioner's journey, but, you know, particularly for me. Yeah. Um, the s- second part to it, like we kind of talked about, but mentorship and the reflective practice that comes with that. Um, it's my favorite thing about working at the VIS is that there's now, there was sort of like six or seven when I started, but there's now like 10 to 13 coaches. Mm-hmm. And so I, I walk out on the gym floor and something that I was like, oh, awesome. Like how good am I at this? And then you look at someone else do it and you're like, fuck, I'm shit. So you go back to the drawing board and you have to get better at that. Like I, you know, on a, on a personal note, like I remember squatting like five reps of 110 kilos and being like, oh, I'm getting somewhere with this. Like sort of pretty chuffed myself and, looked in the mirror and then I looked over and a shot putter did 20 reps of 110 kilos on a bench press. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, okay. I'm pathetic. Which is like, <laughs> you know, but that, that ad nauseum yep. for coaching and for your athlete, like what you think's good. And then you go see someone else do something and you're like, ah, oh. but then the conversations that are generated by that of like, why do you do it this way? Mm-hmm. What mistakes have you made? Like that just constantly. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to come from an institute environment. Like, reflective practice across practitioners for me like just such a big a huge huge part of it mm-hmm. and then from there like i would say that they're, they're, those two things are like by far and away like the most influential but then i'd probably point to like education being a catch-all cry but like the combination like aca conferences are, are good and bad like some things are really really good like i remember seeing a presentation from des ryan who was the head of the arsenal academy at the time and it just like blew my mind of like, holy shit, if you were going to design something perfectly, he's done it. Like that's mm-hmm. divine intervention. Like that's perfect. Not mm-hmm. to say it wouldn't have had many issues, but like just the way that he outlined his vision, his philosophy, what the Academy actually did, how they did it. Mm-hmm. Like I just remember leaving and being like, I want to do that with my career. Um, and then, you know, but then other some other ACA conferences like that they're not as good. Yeah. The different resources that I've got from like, you know, books, so like certain books that have been really influential on me, The Governing Dynamics of Coaching by James Smith, um, the uh, Keir Wenham Flat, so Strength Coach Network, like hugely impactful on me, his fundamentals course, but like the learnings and things that I picked up off him and um, yeah, it's hugely impactful in my career. Guys like, you know, and it's heavily leaning on American uh, S&C, but like Mike Wadango, Alex Brooker, like guys that you just see online doing good stuff and you're just attracted towards things that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, 
yeah, one of the, I mean, if it goes back to the point of mentorship, but one of the things that was really impactful on me was uh, one of my, one of my good mates at work and colleagues, John O'Wallace Smith, who works in the swimming program, but the investment that he would put into himself to learn and to like, he would spend just, just hilarious amounts of money per year on PD books, courses, go to events, go to conferences just because he wanted to. Um, and for me seeing that of like, holy, I can actually just do this myself. Like I can invest in the things that I want to. And, and with that, I think comes with a self-awareness of like, this is something I'm bad at. I need to be better at. Like I need to learn more about this. I need to learn more about that and being able to do that um, and, and really invest in it. So like, yeah, the budget blew out massively and I bought every book under the sun and, you know, like just so there's probably isn't one exact one, but just like the general approach of, mm. of education for me, like those were the three biggest things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's um, knowing, never knowing, never understanding or never saying that you know everything. You know, you're never going to know everything. So you're continually educating and continually driving for that is so important. I can probably relate to that for sure. Yeah, um, and, and like in a sense, just to touch on that, like I don't want to know everything. Um, yeah. I think like one of the things, and, and you know, this is probably an adjunct, but like Nassim Taleb, something that I'm reading at the moment and have done in past, but like just understanding that we're working with hugely complex and dynamic systems of which forecasts and things that we don't understand um, and just being really at peace with that, that there's so many things to learn and it's not about the best book or the best course or the best person. It's like, what is just relevant to you right now in your mm. scenario and things that you think are just for you specifically, like self-awareness being the critical part of that. Um, but yeah, being at ease with the fact that you're not going to be able to explain everything that happens. Like you're mm. going to try a program that previously has worked really well and then it just dies in the ass. Mm. Or you're going to, something that previously failed and, you know, opinions that you grow, but in certain scenarios they work. So being at peace for me, like a really big part of it, being at peace with just like, I just don't understand this and I'm fine with that. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> Doesn't mean you. I'm not going to try, but yeah. Like you said, you built that self-awareness from your all your experiences you've had and ha- having that as self-awareness is huge. Having it early is even better. Um, but yeah, gold, absolute gold, mate. Um, what, what's next for you? What's um, Obviously, you got the 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 baby coming along and you got the intern or the traineeship building up, so you're running that. But anything else new for yourself in the next few weeks? Yeah, so I guess the, the traineeship is currently out. So it's it's advertised for another week or so. So close on the 28th of Feb. So if, if this goes up before then, like hopefully some people can apply and get their the applications in. We'll interview for them and then they'll commence in March. So it'll be sort of pretty busy setting all that up. We've had our students, so our third year undergrad students start um, their placement at the VIS. So we've been pretty busy in, in getting all of them into their their roles and settled and, and getting going. Um, the VIS officially reopens tomorrow. We've, we've had a big refurbishment. So um, that's pretty exciting to get back into a new building. Sort of this would be the first time sitting continuously at a desk since 2019. So I'm pretty excited to get some roots back down and, and you know, set up with our team. And then the next thing really in about a month is under 21 uh, national championships for both our uh, hockey squads. So they'll go there and that's a pretty big, uh, tournament for them in terms of like their categorizations with the AIS and, and mm-hmm. then their ongoing year. Um, that'll then pretty much lead us. There'll be a couple of months before then in July, I'll take an extended period off and do the dad thing and stay home and um, yeah, try to really like enjoy that. Um, it'll be obviously, yeah, no one says that having kids is easy, but um, it'll be, yeah, it'll be awesome. Like I'm really looking forward to some like time off in the middle of the year, like to stay at home, 
mm-hmm. um, enjoy everything that comes with that. And then towards the back end of the year, we have our second uh, major tournament for the year, which is the senior championship, like hockey one, it's the league for like the open age crew. So yeah, um, getting stuck into that and, and then that'll sort of take us to the back end of the year um, to then do it all again. So um, yeah, I, I feel good uh, coming out of COVID that we have a, a more structured year than in past where it was like, oh, maybe this and maybe that, and maybe this is mm-hmm. this year for me looks pretty, pretty structured and pretty solid, but uh, that's the, uh, that's the plan. Perfect, man. Uh, where's, where's best to uh, reach out to yourself of guys uh, listening to this, want to get in touch with you? Uh, to be honest, like they can go straight into my email, which is b.king at vis.org.au. Um, or otherwise, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, uh, b.king underscore sc. So, like, yeah, always keen and open to chat to people. Feel free to send me an email or, or to just drop in the DMs and we can uh, chat it up. Love it, mate. Love it. I've really enjoyed having this chat with you, man. And you can tell the passion when you speak about all these things. It it, it literally comes out of everything you say. So thank you very much for spending the time having a chat with me, man. Um, you've got a long journey ahead of you with the, the newborn coming and definitely in your career, mate. So enjoy it. Uh, I'll, I'll see you soon. But hang on. Hang on uh, the chat anyway. Well, if we finish as well, we have a chat. But uh, in terms of the podcast, we're all done. So thank you, mate. Easy, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So thanks to Ben for jumping on this episode, mate. Really do appreciate you giving me the time and going into the level of detail and passion that you did uh, for your uh, hour or so that we spoke together, which was awesome. Uh, Your concept of the Vortex was something that I think will be very, very much so, um, will resonate with a lot of guys in the industry here about wanting to know what's better to do it. Is it for the badge? Is it for the team? Is it to get involved? Or is it something that I want to do and actually really, really get good at? So it's something to have a realization of that at such a young stage in people's careers will be important and and will help them get a lot of uh, mental clarity in doing what they want to do and and being where they want to be. So really good advice, mate, and thank you very much. Thank you to listening in, everyone who's listening to this episode. Hopefully you got a lot out of it. Please um, give us a message, send Ben a message if you feel like he resonated with uh, his journey and everything he's been through. Um, and I'm sure he's very happy to um, sit down and have a conversation either online or need to be meet up for a coffee as, as we always are. Uh, thank you to Team Builder for sponsoring this episode and thank you to Stance for providing the music to this episode. Um, and... We've got a lot of another another few uh, lined up in the next few weeks, which is great. Some international guys, some guys locally. So keep listening in, and uh, until then, I'll um, I'll see you in the next episode.